Uh, well, good morning, church. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. It is indeed the most wonderful time of the year. What a blessing to hear from the Lequeur family as they uh, read our second Advent reading. As we continue our worship this morning in the Word, let's take a moment to bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, we rejoice. We rejoice uh, over what this season reminds us of, the birth of our Savior and of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Father, this morning as we continue our worship in the Word, uh, we are excited to dig into it. We're excited for what you have for us. We pray, Lord, that you'd get us out of the way, focus, our, uh, focus us on you, uh, allow your word uh, to, to just come alive to us this morning, and may we apply it all the days of our life. Lord, what we know not teach us, what we have not give us, and who we are not in Christ, we ask that you'd make us, we ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing in heaven, and heaven and nature sing. Now, that song, Joy to the World, written uh, by a well-known uh, hymn writer, Isaac Watts, whether you realize it or not, because it's such a beloved Christmas carol, is actually written not in light of the first coming or advent of Christ, but actually the second coming. It's interesting, if you listen closely to the lyrics, because we're so familiar with that song and we love to sing it around this time of the year, you hear no mention, uh, you hear no mention of Mary or Joseph, no mention of angels or shepherds, no mention of Jesus or a manger, because it de describes the joy that we are to share and celebrate in light of the coming of Christ in glory as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So why is it that we sing joy to the world as a Christmas carol? Now, whether you realize it or not, the joy to the world is a song that is based on a psalm, Psalm 98. And when you take a look at the second coming of Christ, it sheds light on the first coming of Christ. And this morning, as we continue the Christmas story, I'd invite you in your Bibles to Psalm 98. Uh, as we continue to walk through the Christmas story, last time we were together, uh, we were reminded that the Christmas story actually doesn't begin in a manger, it began in a garden. It began in a garden where the need for Christmas was first presented because of the fall, the temptation in the fall that led humanity into sin, and the first promise of Christmas that from the seed of the woman would come one who would crush the head of the serpent. Well, as we took a look at Christmas in the garden, today we're going to take a look at Christmas in the Psalms. Now, there are a number of Psalms that we could look at today in light of Messianic Psalms that proclaim the Christ who is to come, but I want to take you to Psalm 98 as we consider what we learn about the Christmas story from Psalm 98 and how the second coming of Christ sheds light on the first coming. And so would you stand in honor of the reading of the word Psalm 98, we'll be looking at the entirety of the psalm. A psalm. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. The Lord has made known his salvation, his righteousness he has revealed in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his mercy and his faithfulness to the house of Israel 
All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in song. Rejoice and sing praises. Sing to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of a psalm. With trumpets and the sound of a horn, shout joyfully before the Lord, the King. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. The world and all those who dwell in it, let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth with righteousness. He shall judge the world and the peoples with equity. The word of the Lord, you all may be seated in the presence of God this morning. As we take a look at Psalm 98, we're going to consider what do we learn about the Christmas story from this psalm? How does the second coming shed light on the first coming of Christ? As we take a look at the psalm, it's interesting. If you take a look at the title of this psalm, it's short, but it's also unique. It says a psalm. Whether you realize it or not, Psalm 98 is the, actually the only psalm within the Psalter that has that title, a psalm. A psalm is simply a song. When you take a look at the content of Psalm 98, you learn that this is a, a psalm of praise. It's a song of worship. Just like a song that has stanzas or verses, uh, Psalm 98 has three. In the first stanza, in the first three verses, we see an invitation to Israel to worship a God who is the Savior with a song, a new song. In the second stanza, in verses 4 to 6, we see the invitation to the whole world to worship the king with shouts of praise. And then in the third stanza, we see an invitation uh, given, well, specifically to nature as they declare their praise and roarous worship to the judge who is to come, who's going to come and he's going to right every wrong, judge every sin, and bring justice and equity to the earth. And so in light of this amazing psalm, how does the second coming shed light on the first coming and what do we learn about the Christmas story? As we take a look at the first three verses in the first stanza, we see that the Christmas story is about an invitation to worship a Savior. The Christmas story is about an invitation to worship the Savior. The psalmist begins and says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. This psalmist, you have to understand, describes to us the means by which we are to express our worship before the Lord who is our Savior, who has provided deliverance to Israel, who has provided victory to himself with the benefit going to his people. And we get to read about this psalmist who says, in light of that, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. You see, this psalmist is so impressed by the Lord so impressed by the great works of God, the deliverance he's provided, the salvation he's provided, the victory he has won, that the psalmist can't keep the praise to himself. He's got to invite the rest of the redeemed to join him, and he declares, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Uh, Oh, what would happen if the people of God were so excited about the worship of God? That we would not be content simply to, uh, to, to give the Lord the worth and worship due his name. But we realize we need to invite others to join us as well. And to invite others during the week to come on Sunday morning. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. I mean, you know, Sunday morning worship is a Saturday night decision. 
Weekday or weekend worship is a weekday decision as we call upon our family members, call upon the people of God and say, in light of the deliverance God has provided through Christ, in light of the salvation God has provided, in light of the victory he has won, oh, oh, let us sing to the Lord a new song. So the means by which we are invited to worship is by means of singing to the Lord a new song. The reason why the psalmist invites us to sing is because singing is the means by which we glorify God. Uh, there have been times that I've talked with folks. I remember one time I had a guy who was fairly new in the faith. He had come to Christ and um, I was teaching and preaching on the significance of singing to the Lord and glorifying him accordingly. And after the service, he came up to me and he said, you know, pastor, I've never actually sung during worship, I always thought that was something the ladies did. And then he started to explain to me, he says, and then in light of God's word, in light of what scripture says, I guess the, the most manliest, biblically manliest thing that you can do is sing praises to the Lord. And he says, I'm learning, I'm growing, and I'm going to give glory to the Lord, the kind of praise that's due his name by means of song. Song is the means by which we express our praise and the glory to our God. We sing it to him. We praise his name. It's lifted up to him as sweet aroma. He, 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 he desires it. He, he finds it pleasing and acceptable when it's provided in the appropriate capacity. And so the reason we sing to the Lord is because it glorifies him. But whether you realize it or not, it also benefits us. Did you know when you come to gather, especially around Christmas time, and sing those Christmas carols and sing about Jesus Christ who is the Savior of the world, it's a benefit to us because it reminds us of the truth of who God is. It reminds us of the truth of who Jesus is and why he came from heaven to earth. He was born in a manger in order to die on a cross. And whenever we sing these songs of praise, it's a great benefit to us. There are times and moments in our lives, week after week, where we get into the busyness of our schedules and of the busyness of our lives and our families. And we need to be reminded weekly, especially around the Christmas season, daily, of the truth of who God is the truth of what he has done, what he's doing, and what he promises to do. And as we sing our worship and praises to the Lord, it reminds us of the truth of who he is. So it glorifies God, it benefits us. But whether you realize it or not, when you sing in the corporate gathering of God's people, it blesses others. Because not only do you remember why you're praising God and thanking him and reminding, who he, reminding yourself of who he is, you're reminding those close to you who he is as well. You're reminding that person who has just lost a loved one and is going through a hard time and, and that person who has just been diagnosed with cancer or uh, is navigating a difficult time or is handing, holding the hand of a loved one who has been told they have a terminal illness. And when you sing praises to your God, you're reminding them that God is still sovereign even in times of immense suffering. When you're singing songs of praises and lifting your voice up to the Lord, especially around this Christmas season, you're reminding that brother or sister in Christ who's been caught up in sin that Christ and the word of God is the only path to true joy and satisfaction. When you lift your voice in praise and song and you glorify God and you make sure you're praising the Lord enthusiastically, 
You're making a joyful noise to the Lord. It is an influence and a blessing to your children and your children's children and those around you. And the reason we are invited to sing a song is because it glorifies him, it benefits us, and it blesses those around us. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. And if there's a time to invite the family of God to sing, it's around Christmas time. Because of what Christ has done, he's come from heaven to earth. He is the Christ, the Son of God, who's come in order to provide salvation to his people. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. The kind of song we're called to sing is, is, says here, a new song. When it says a new song, it's not speaking of time, but, but quality. It's speaking of authenticity. It's not saying necessarily that we should compose new songs, even though we should. It's not saying we should sing new songs that we have composed, but it's saying that when we sing, our singing and the worship that we sing unto the Lord should never grow stale, never become routine and repetitive. It should never lose its flavor, but rather the worship that we should sing to the Lord should so stir our hearts that we worship the Lord and our worship is lifted up to him in spirit and in truth. The kind of worship he finds pleasing and the kind of worship he finds acceptable. And so the kind of worship we are to worship the Lord with is a new song. I know there's some who, who say, you know, I like the traditional hymns. Others who are like, I'm into the contemporary music. But in light of what scripture tells us, whether you're singing the traditional hymns or you're singing some new contemporary song or a newly song that has just been composed, if it reflects scripture and it reflects the word of God and it gives glory to God, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. So may we not get stuck in the routine of singing Christmas carols out of familiarity. But when we sing these songs of praise, may we be reminded of who God is, what he's done, what he's doing, and what he promises to do. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. So we get to see the means by which we are invited to worship the Savior by means of a new song. Secondly, we see the reasons we are invited to sing to the Lord our Savior a new song. So in the rest of verse 1 into verses 2 and 3, we, we see the reasons. Um, my prayer is that if, any, ever, if ever anyone comes to you and asks you, uh, after you say, praise the Lord, God is good, God is greatly to be praised, and they ask you, why? that you would be able to give some reasons. If, if ever you say, praise the Lord, I want to invite you to church. We're going to worship the Lord. We're, we're going to have a candlelight service this Christmas Eve. We've, we've got a Christmas musical coming up this Saturday, and people ask you, why do you do all that stuff? Why do you come and hear a message? May you have a reason why you have a song to sing. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. The reason we sing to the Lord a new song and give him the worship due his name, who is our Savior, is because the works of God are described as marvelous. The works of God are not described as mediocre, they're described as marvelous. The works of God are not described as ordinary, they're described as extraordinary. The works of God are not described as mundane and monotonous, but they leave us in a state of awestruck wonder. When you take a look at the works of God, you don't stand back and say, oh, that was okay. 
You are impressed by the magnificence of the greatness and the grandeur of our God. When's the ta- last time you took a look at, the, uh, at night at the stars and stood back amazed and said, wow, God does marvelous works, not mediocre, me- mediocre works. I mean, when you take a look at the, the great creation of the Lord, go to the Grand Canyon, you say, man, you see it, you say, that's deep, but I just don't know how deep. That's the marvelous work of God. But when we're talking about the marvelous work of God, we're not just talking about his creation. We're talking about his salvation, his deliverance, and the victory that he has won ultimately by defeating sin, death, and Satan on the cross. And then three days later, rising in newness of life, proving that he is who he is and what he came to do, he did. He defeated it and he reigns victorious over all. If his works are truly as marvelous as the scriptures declare them, if you truly believe they are magnificent and leave you in a state of awestruck wonder, may your worship and my worship reflect his works. May our worship never be mediocre. May we never lift up a song to the Lord that is old in the sense that it becomes stale and we sing it out of repetition, out of familiarity. May the worship we, we, we send up to the Lord be in a sense of being mesmerized, awestruck at the amazing, marvelous works of God that have been on display. The one who has saved us, delivered us, and granted himself the victory, and we the, are the beneficiaries of that victory. Why do you have a reason to worship this Christmas and to sing a new song? Because of the marvelous works that he has done that he is doing, and that he will do. God is great and greatly to be praised. And the kind of worship I should send up to him, it should not be a monotonous, boring worship, but one with enthusiasm, joy, and excitement because of who he is. So because of his marvelous work. Secondly, it tells us in verse Uh, One, because his right hand and his holy arm has gained him the victory. When it speaks of his right hand and his holy arm, uh, it's anthropomorphic language, but it speaks of his power. The power of God is described here as holy. In other words, the power of God is in a whole other category. The power of God is is set apart. Uh, The power of God is incomparable. You can't compare it to anything. You cannot compare the power of God to anything in creation because he's the creator. Everything else is part of the creation. You, you can't compare the power of God to the power of men. You can't certainly compare the power of God with the power of nations or even nature. They don't even compare. And the power of God that's incomparable, that's on display, the power of God that that draws us to worship the Lord with a new song is a power that is in its own category. And with his right hand and with his holy arm, he has gained himself the victory. Now, we don't know exactly when this psalm is written. Perhaps the psalmist and the redeemed of Israel, when they hear of the deliverance of the Lord, maybe it's uh, deliverance from, uh, from Egypt, the exodus out of Egypt, and God displays his victory and his power. Maybe it's his victory that's on display as he leads the children of Israel into the promised land and their conquest of Canaan. 
Maybe it's the victory of the Lord when the children of Israel find themselves under divine discipline due to Babylonian captivity and then God intervenes and the Babylonians are judged and God brings the victory, allow his, his people to return to the land in Ezra and, re, and rebuild the temple and then in Nehemiah rebuild the walls. But ultimately, the power of God that is on full display, that has gained him the victory, is ultimately found in the person and work of Jesus Christ who was born in a manger, who died on a cross in order to buy our salvation, defeat sin, death, and Satan, and to promise to come back as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Uh, the reason we worship him is because of his marvelous works, because of the victory he has gained with a power that is unmatched and is incomparable to anything we could have either, either fathom or imagine. God is in his whole another category. And then thirdly, in verse 2, it says, the Lord has made known his salvation, <coughs> his righteousness. He has revealed in the sight of the nations. Why should you and I have a reason to worship the Lord and sing a new song to him? Marvelous deeds, victory he has gained, but also salvation that he has revealed and righteousness that he has revealed in the sight of the nations. Ultimately, this is fulfilled in Christ. I got to bring you back to the Christmas story. This is why we're taking a look at this text so that it sheds light on how we celebrate the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who brings salvation to all people. It's a beautiful text. And it tells us also that the righteousness of God is revealed to all nations. Now, when it speaks of the righteousness of God, it's speaking about God's righteousness, right? He is righteous, he is holy, he is just, he cannot look upon sin and not judge it. That which is evil, he must judge, he is a just God, a, a holy God. Uh, but as we take a look at it in the light of Scripture, righteousness doesn't just refer to who God is, but what God provides, the righteousness of God refers to the right standing he provides through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's why in Romans 1.16, the Apostle Paul declares, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, for the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. What does that mean? The means by which you and I are placed in a right standing before God has been revealed through faith in Jesus as our Savior and Lord. The reason we worship, the reason we celebrate, the reason we sing a new song to the Lord is because he's revealed his salvation and he's revealed his righteousness, not just to the Jew, but the Gentile alike. Church, we have a reason to sing a new song to the Lord. We have no excuse to allow our worship to become mundane or repetitive or monotonous. We must sing to the Lord a new song because he is great and greatly to be praised. Verse 3, we continue on. It says, he has remembered his mercy and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. There's more reasons because of his his hesed. The word mercy there is the word we get in the Hebrew loyal love. It speaks of the fact that the Lord is Yahweh. He's the God who makes promises and he's the God who keeps his promises. He remains faithful to his people even when they are not faithful to him. 
All throughout Israel's history, you see the divine discipline that is brought to them. There are times in the Old Testament when you think to yourself, I don't know how the plans of God are going to work out, but we're reminded that God is faithful and that God is sovereign. And we see it all come together after 400 years of silence after Malachi when Jesus Christ is born, the Savior of the world. And what we're reminded of is his loyal love shown to his chosen people, his faithfulness demonstrated to them. And then it says, all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. I want to take you to the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2, verse 28. There's a time when the older man by the name of Simeon, who's older in age, he is going to hold the baby Jesus and he talks exactly about what is going on here. In Luke chapter 2, verse 28, speaking of Simeon, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. This man who was older in age, he got to see the Savior of the world. And he said this, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. The salvation of God is revealed to all nations. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Wow. Church, this morning, oh, let us sing to the Lord a new song. We are invited alongside of Israel to worship the Savior of the world who is the person and work of Jesus Christ. What do we learn about the Christmas story from Psalm 98 in these first three verses? How does the second coming shed light on the first coming? It tells us that we are invited to worship a Savior. Not just any Savior, the Savior of the world who is born in a manger to die on the cross in order that he might forgive us of our sins. In order that he might grant us salvation in everlasting life. If I could give you a few takeaways in these first few verses, the first one is to worship the Savior this Christmas, first and foremost, uh, if you haven't, by receiving him as your Savior and your Lord. Uh, the invitation is to sing to the Lord a new song, especially as believers, but the best way to sing to the Lord a new song is in light of the salvation that he brings to your life. The Bible says all, all have sinned. We all need Christmas. We all need Christ. The reason is because all of us, uh, there is a distance, a separation between us and God. Last time we were together in Genesis, we, we learned that sin separates. The consequence of sin is death, not just physical, but spiritual, and we need a Savior. And so my invitation from God's Word is to see your need for Christ this Christmas if you haven't yet seen it, to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. He was sent by the Father from heaven to earth in order to buy your salvation and mine, to take our place on the cross. The reason we celebrate Christmas is because he would, be, he would grow up to die on a cross for your sins. And today, the invitation is to confess him as your Savior. To say, Jesus, I want to admit my need for you. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's, di who's died for my sins and promises everlasting life. I make you my Savior and my Lord. I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. And then you've got a reason to sing a new song. 
And so the invitation is first worship uh, the Savior this Christmas by receiving salvation. Secondly, worship the Savior this Christmas by singing to the Lord a new song. As you sing some of those old songs, may the song that you sing be one that stirs your heart in worship for a Savior who came and died for your sins. You know, we're reminded that the reason we can sing a new song is not just because of what we read about in the text, of the fact that Jesus is the one who is the victor. He is the one who provides salvation and deliverance. But he is the one who's currently working in our lives. We're reminded that, that, that in Christ, we have been justified. There is, there is a process of salvation, right? The first part of salvation is we have been saved. We've been justified, declared righteous. Romans 5 tells us that. We've been declared righteous. We've been placed in a right standing before God. So when God looks at us, if we've trusted in Christ as our Savior and Lord, he doesn't see our sin. He sees the perfection of Christ. We're reminded that we're in the process of being saved. You take a look at Romans 6. That every day we're looking a little bit more like Jesus as we're being transformed into the likeness of Christ. And so we get to see the salvation of the Lord on a daily basis. We can confess our sins as 1 John 1, 9 says, and he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we have the hope of eternal salvation when one day we will be glorified as Romans 8 points out so clearly. Church, can I invite you to sing to the Lord a new song? Take time to meditate on the salvation he has provided, the deliverance he has given, and the victory he has won in defeating sin, death, and Satan. And you and I have the hope of salvation and everlasting life. If there's someone who's going to sing, it better be the, the redeemed of the Lord. The Bible says elsewhere, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And then as we come and worship the Lord, singing a new song, not allowing our worship to grow stale, common, or routine. Thirdly, worship the Savior by letting your worship reflect the work of God. If his works are marvelous, if he's revealed his righteousness and his salvation, if he's demonstrated his power that's incomparable to anything in this world, and he has brought the victory to himself and we are the beneficiaries of that, we better give him a worship that is due his name. A worship in which we sing to the Lord a new song. So this Christmas, may we worship the Lord with a new song, worship him as the Savior. That's the first three verses. Secondly, what do we learn about the Christmas story? The Christmas story invites us to worship the Lord as king. Not only do we see in the first three verses Israel who's worshiping the Lord as Savior, but the whole earth and all of the inhabitants who are worshiping the Lord as king. In verses uh, 4 to 6, we get to see the means by which we are invited to worship. Not on, only are we invited to sing, we're invited to shout. Now, verse 4 says this, Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. How are we invited to worship the Lord? First, by shouting joyfully. When this tells us the kind of worship we are to give to the Lord, it's speaking of a worship that is enthusiastic. I said it early, I hope our worship at Twin Rivers isn't monotonous and mundane. Folks come in and they're like, oh man, this is it? 
I mean, what, what are you guys excited? Don't, you don't be, seem very excited about your God, but God is great and greatly to be praised, and may our worship reflect that, and may we enthusiastically shout joyfully to the Lord. When we consider what it means to shout joyfully to the Lord, it's speaking of the kind of joy and the kind of, of joyful noise that comes when uh, a king arrives into town. The kind of shouts and joy that should fill the people in response to a victory that has been won. The kind of shouting that we should do so joyfully with is found in texts like Zechariah 9.9 that is fulfilled in the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. Let me read that to you. Zechariah 9.9 says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just in having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. I think sometimes the reason we don't worship with the kind of enthusiasm we should in relationship to the greatness of our God is because we lose sight of how much we needed the Lord and how much we need him right now. The fact that we need a savior means that we need someone to rescue us. Before Christ entered our life is a reminder that we were in the pit of our own depravity and our sin and we couldn't pull ourselves out. We cried out for mercy. We cried out for someone to come and rescue us. We couldn't climb out ourselves. We couldn't have someone else pull us out. There is nothing that could help us. This religion, that philosophy, nothing could pull us out except for the Savior who is Jesus Christ the Lord. And when Jesus puts out his hand, you rejoice and shout joyfully to the Lord. Around Christmas time, we have a reason to shout joyfully to the Lord. It's not just talking about enthusiasm and excitement. It's talking about how loud we shout. Uh, how often we praise the Lord. Praise God. And I've got reasons to tell you why. And so first, how do we worship the king? By shouting joyfully. Uh, secondly, by directing our worship to the Lord. We're not just shouting joyfully because that's tradition. We're not just shouting joyfully because it's the expectation of those around us. We're not shouting joyfully simply because those on stage who are leading us in worship are shouting joyfully. We are shouting joyfully because the Lord is worthy of our worship and worthy of our praise. You know, sometimes we get confused because we think that church is kind of like a concert. The people on stage are the performers. Y'all over here are the audience. And then you just sing and you're singing with the people on stage. But the reality is when it says shout joyfully to the Lord, we're the performers. He is the audience. And so when we walk away from worship, it's not, wow, I wonder, did you enjoy the songs today? Did you enjoy the teaching and the preaching of the word? The real question is, was he pleased by the worship that we brought before him? Was he glorified? Did our worship reflect his work? Was he honored, glorified, praised with the worship and honor that is due his name? Shout joyfully to the Lord. Direct your worship to him. And then thirdly, how do we worship? By, by joining the whole earth. Speaking of the inhabitants therein in worship. It's not enough that the redeemed of the Lord worship the Lord. Everyone and everything is invited to worship the Lord because he's not just the savior of the world. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. 
Better believe it. It may not be now, but one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. We're reminded that the second coming, it sheds light on the first coming and reminds us who is the king. So how is it possible to shout to the Lord? How is it possible to sing joyfully? Joy to the world. The Lord has come when you take a look at the news and the wickedness going on in the world. How is it possible to sing joy to the world when you take a look at your life and the chaos going on around you? Because in light of the return of Christ, he's going as the king to make all things right again. And we can trust that he has done a good work, he is doing a good work, and he will finish the good work <coughs> that he has already begun. As we continue to read... Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. And then it says, break forth in song, rejoice, sing praises. Um, you and I should be meditating on the word of God as we meditate on the works of God. As we reflect on the blessing that God has been working in our lives, the mercies of God are new every morning. That when we are squeezed, what comes out is worship. You know, sometimes when you, you know, you're, you're driving down the road sometimes and, and a car cuts in front of you or, you know, uh, something troublesome happens to you, stub your toe. Sometimes for folks, something that's squeezed out is not worship, something else. And you hear different things. We should be so focused on the word and the work of God that when we are squeezed, I'm not just talking about stubbing your toe. I'm not just talking about someone cutting you off on the road. But when you experience the troubles of life, when you're squeezed, all you have is worship. And I will tell you the most beautiful expressions of worship are those who are in those moments of being squeezed and still trusting that he is sovereign, that he is good, even in times of immense suffering and worship is that reminder to us as we shout joyfully to the Lord. And so may that be squeezed out of us, break forth in song. I can't keep quiet. You know, when the Lord works in your life and you pray to him and he answers your prayer and you see him active in your life, I can't wait till Sunday morning to worship him. I'm going to worship him all week long. You know, I, I can't wait till, till this or that, just the corporate gathering of God's people. I'm worshiping him night and day. I'm worshiping him in my sleep because God's been too good to me. God is good and he's great and greatly to be praised. Uh, um, sing to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of the psalm. The means by which we're invited to worship the king is also with musical instruments harps and and with the sound of a psalm songs then in verse six with trumpets and the sound of a horn we're supposed to worship enthusiastically because god is great and greatly to be praised verse six he sums it up shout joyfully to the lord who is he he is the king this Christmas, what are we invited to do in light of Psalm 98, in light of the second coming of Christ, as we take a look at the first coming of Christ, we're to worship the Savior and we're to worship the King. Here's our uh, specific takeaways here. The first is this. Um, my prayer is that we would pray that our worship would reflect Psalm 98. My, my prayer is that as a church, our our worship would be one, as we reflect on the work of God, uh, uh, that would reflect our worship of God. Uh, that we as a church would shout joyfully to the Lord. 
that we would stand back in awe and wonder at the salvation he has brought, the deliverance he has brought, and the victory that he has won, that we can't keep silence, but we break out in song that we rejoice, that where you see the people of God among the redeemed, there's something weird about them because even in times of difficulty, they're singing a song of worship to a God in heaven who is Christ the Lord. And so let us pray that our worship would better reflect Psalm 98. Secondly, shout joyfully to the Lord this Christmas season that when we get to sing, Let us shout joyfully to the Lord, not just now, but throughout the year. Uh, My prayer is that we would get excited and be enthusiastic about the worship of our God. Um, If you get more excited about sports, or you get excited more about a relationship, or you get more excited about this or that over worship, you might want to check your priorities. Around Christmas time, if you get more excited, as we kind of talked about last week, about the lights and the presents and all of the distractions from the true reason for the season, take time to check your priorities because the most excitement that we should have that causes us to shout should be the gift of Jesus Christ into the world who is our Savior and our Lord. Not just ours is a gift to all who would receive him. Shout joyfully to your Lord in worship of the King. And then lastly, read about and meditate on the greatness and work of the Lord until you break out in worship. Um, We're invited during this season to reflect on the Christmas story. We tell it again and again and again because the story never gets old. It's always fresh. It's always new. And it reminds us to sing a new song to the Lord because salvation is always relevant Deliverance that we have been delivered from our sin, death, and Satan is always relevant, and it's a reason to sing and to break out in worship. Um, As a church, we can take some time to celebrate what God has been doing, is doing, and will do. As a church, if we can just reflect on the past few months in October, uh, God's been doing great work among his people. In October, we did what was called Socktober with our Eugene mission. I don't know if we ever reported to you how many socks you all actually brought in. A thousand socks went out to our Eugene mission. What a blessing of the Lord to bless others and to, and to motivate, not, not just to, to love others physically, but have a desire to see them love spiritually as well. In the month of November, we did a couple projects locally and globally. Locally, we did Thanksgiving boxes. 113 went out. Not just food boxes for Thanksgiving, but the message of the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ and an invitation to come to church and to hear more about him. Not only that, but but globally, we, we made all these shoe boxes. You remember that? We went around and we made 180 shoe boxes that are going to children all around the world where they get a gift to get to know, hey, God loves me, somebody loves me, but in a greater way, he demonstrated an even greater love for you by dying on the cross for your sins and they get a message of the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, church, that should cause you to break out in worship. Not simply because we're serving locally and globally, but because the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is reaching here in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We have a reason to break out in song, a reason to rejoice because the gospel is not just relevant to us, but to a dying lost world around us. The Christmas story is an invitation to worship the Savior to worship the king, 
to sing to the Savior, to shout to the King, and then thirdly, to roar in worship in light of what nature is doing, in the light of the coming judge who is going to right every wrong, who's going to judge every sin, and who's going to bring justice and equity to the earth. Let's continue in our text, verse 7. We get to see in light of the coming judge and the judgment that's coming, take a look at what nature does. It says, let the sea roar and all its fullness. When it says, speaking of the sea as roaring, it's speaking of the praise of nature given to the Lord God Almighty. I want to take a moment to pause here and consider uh, that the praise of nature is distinct from the praise of man. The praise of nature is artless and inarticulate. Still, it's praise and it's worship. It says the, 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 the sea roars at the greatness of God and the coming judge who's coming. I want to take a moment to remind you that our worship, the kind that we're invited to share, has words to it. where It's to be accompanied by harps and trumpets. The kind of worship we are to give to the Lord is to shout joyfully to the Lord. The nat nature itself, the seas roar, the rivers clap. There's the anthropomorphic language that's added to it in light of the coming judge. But let me remind you as we're walking through this, if nature is worshiping and you're not, there should be a problem there. <laughs> we need to be worshiping the greatness of our God as we reflect on who he is, what he's done, what he's doing, what he promises to do. That's what worship is all about. And so we get to see in this language, in light of the coming judge, the sea roars and everything in it. In Romans, <coughs> it's interesting to note that in Romans chapter 8, verses um, 19 to 21, that prior the creation is groaning, now it's singing. Let me read that to you, Romans 8, 19 to 21. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Listen, creation is groaning, but in light of the coming judge who is going to right every wrong and judge all sin and bring justice and equity, the creation is singing. And we have an opportunity to sing along with it. So the seas roar, the world and all those who dwell in it. Verse 8, the rivers clap their hands. It's pictured here with the rivers that are overflowing with water, that the waves within the rivers are clapping against each other, and it's a joyful noise to the Lord before him, for he is coming to judge the earth. Whoa. Not only is God the Savior, not only is he the king, but he's the judge, this causes some of us to take a step back and be reminded that God will hold every single one of us to account. That we can escape the judgment of God. He is holy, he is righteous, he is just. Sure, he's provided salvation and a right standing with God by faith through, through faith in Jesus as our Savior and Lord, but the judge is coming. So why can creation rejoice? And why do we rejoice that the judge is coming? Because we've received the righteousness of Christ. There's a longing in each of the hearts of men, whether they've trusted in Christ or not. They take a look at the world around them and they say, this is not how it should be. And there's a longing, a deep longing that all wrongs will be made right. 
That all sin will be judged. The problem is that some people don't recognize their own sin. They think the problem's out there, but all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. And we don't see our need for Christ, but ultimately we need justice and we need equity. And that's what the coming judge is going to bring. And so he brings the worship of nature for his coming to judge the earth with righteousness. He shall judge the world. He is the measurement of right and wrong. He will bring justice and he will bring equity to the peoples of the earth. And it tells us that this is a reason to rejoice. Church, this morning, in light of the second coming of Christ, we're reminded what Christmas is all about. It's all about worshiping a savior. It's about worshiping a king. It's about worshiping a judge who's going to come to right every wrong, to judge all sin, and to bring justice and equity to the earth. What is our response this Christmas? The first thing is this, join the worship. Join the worship. Sing alongside of Israel to the Savior. Shout alongside of the world and all of its inhabitants to the king. Take time to come alongside nature and make a roarous applause, clapping your hands, giving glory to the judge who is going to come, who's going to right every wrong, judge every sin, and bring justice and equity to the earth. Take time to worship the Lord. Oh, come, let us adore him. Let us worship him. Let us sing a new song to him. May our worship never grow stale or cold, but may our hearts be stirred in light of what God has done, is doing, and will do, and who our God is. Join the worship. Secondly, live in light of the return of Christ. This morning, we're reminded that we're living in between the first coming and the second coming of Christ, and the urgency is there. If you have not been made right with God, today is the day of salvation. Admit your need for him. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who's come into the world and receive him as your Savior and your Lord. If you are saved this morning, you are to live in light of his return by calling others to the truth of the gospel of Christ who sets men free from their sins and delivers them unto everlasting life with God and his people forever. And ever live in light of the return of Christ, and then thirdly, love in light of the return of Christ. Uh, this morning, if you don't know Jesus, the invitation is to get to know Him. If you do know Jesus, the invitation is to bring as many people with you that you can. Uh, this Christmas, we've got a ton of events going on. We don't want you to come to all of them. Well, you could. We, we'd love if you did. But there's so many events that you may say, you know, it, it, it fills up my schedule. If you know Jesus, those events are there, not just for you, but to invite someone to hear the gospel so that a seed of the gospel might be planted in their hearts. Uh, this coming Saturday, we've got the kids' musical. It's not just a time to to see our kids who have been working so hard, and we are so blessed they have been working so hard, and there's so much that goes into these musicals, but it's an opportunity to celebrate the Savior of the world and invite someone to hear the good news of the gospel. After that, on Sunday, we've got a Seeds concert off campus, and it's an opportunity to continue to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
We've got a Christmas Eve service. Hey, we're worshiping Jesus on his birthday this year, December 25th. I mean, it's going to be a great opportunity to invite others to come and to worship the Lord. And so if there's one thing that I can encourage you to do before we close this morning is if you haven't received Christ, receive him. And if you have, take someone on your mind. It might be in your family members, your friends, among your coworkers. And this week, go out to them and invite them to church, invite them to an event, invite them to a service so they, they might hear the gospel. And then let's see what God does. Can we pray? Uh, Father, we... Rejoice. We want to sing a new song to you this, this morning. Because we're going to close with a joy to the world. Uh, Lord, we, 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 we sing that in light of the return of Christ. Uh, Father, we, we take some time this morning. And, and Lord, we, we just reflect on who you are. We reflect on what you've done, what you're doing, what you promised to do, to do. We worship you because you are our savior. You have brought salvation. You've brought deliverance. You are the victor. You reign supreme over all. Lord Jesus and Father, we just pray that the worship we bring before you would be honoring and glorifying to you. Uh, Father, I pray if there's someone here today who has a desire to make Jesus their Savior and Lord, I pray that they can express this. Father, I recognize my need for you. I know that there is a separation between me and you, and it's because of my sin. My heart is not bent towards serving you. My heart is bent towards serving myself. Father, I'm sorry for that, but I know that's why Jesus came. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world He's died on a cross in order to forgive my sins. I make him my savior. I make him my Lord, the one I'm gonna follow all the days of my life into eternity. Father, I pray right now for every believer in this room that you would put a name on our hearts who we can reach this week and invite them to a service, invite them to hear the gospel, or even just invite them to Christmas dinner that we might have an intentional conversation about the things of God. And our Father, I pray that you would save them through the gospel that is declared this year. Father, we know that you are God, that you are great and greatly to be praised. We thank you, we praise you, and we glorify you for these things. We ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.